Now, we, um, I think we all like to think that we would do better at something the second time. Yeah, we think, you know, I messed up uh, that time, but if you just give me another go, I would not make that mistake again. Well, eight weeks ago, we opened Mark's Gospel with the disciples in a boat with Jesus, and that time, so the first reading we just heard, they were afraid, and he, um, he told them off as if they should have worked out by now, by Mark chapter 4 that Jesus is in charge of wind and waves. And now at the end of our series, eight weeks later, we have disciples and a boat and Jesus, and it seems like they have got worse. Um, See what you think as we go through this evening. I have read these chapters of Mark with um, actually uh, hundreds of people in Bible study groups over 20 years. And nearly everyone, every time I've done that, nearly everybody is massively sympathetic in chapter 4. Love the disciples in chapter 4. Very sympathetic. But then very surprised that they have not made progress by chapter 6. So see what you think. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to suggest tonight that they are going backwards. I've got um, three headings for us. This is not working. Mm, It's not working. Can I have my three headings? There we go. There they are. Uh, Three headings for us tonight. So first one, the kingdom is advancing. So something is going forwards, and that something is Jesus and his kingdom. But, point two, the disciples are going backwards. The disciples are getting worse. And we are told the reason by Mark. It's shocking, but it is very important for us to understand. And really, tonight's sermon is a sermon on verse 52 only. Chapter 6, verse 52. The disciples are going backwards because of their hard hearts. And that's going to be important to understand for anyone here tonight with a human heart. We all need to hear this. So let's uh, have a look at the main story in Mark first. Let's look at what Jesus is doing. Point one, the kingdom is advancing. And it has been quite a few months for Jesus. Just over the last few weeks for us, but maybe a few months of his life, we've seen Jesus has power over nature and over evil and over sickness and over death. And last week for us, he fed 5,000 men. And the significance of the gender and the number in verse 44 is that this could be his army. We said last week we've had two big parties in the chapter. Herod's party was a rich feast with the generals. Herod has the generals, but Jesus has the army, which is what's going on in verse 45 and 46. So um, look down. Uh, There's something strange. Jesus makes the disciples go away while he dismisses the crowd, and then he prays. And in Mark's gospel, we are told about Jesus praying like this only three times. And always, it is a, a major decision point for him. So once at the start, about what kind of Messiah is he going to be, once at the end, about whether he is going to die on the cross or not, and then here, in Mark chapter 6. And in John's gospel, we're told what the big decision is. Uh, After the feeding, it says they intended to make him king by force. That's John chapter 6, 
verse 15, if you're taking notes. So it's a decision point about Jesus, will you be king? And actually, he refuses. That's why he sends them away. He won't be their kind of king. But his kingdom, it has come a long way, hasn't it, since he was just one man in Galilee. Then in our our reading tonight, he does one more miracle. He walks on the water. Um, That is a walk of something like 13 kilometers over water that averages something like 25 meters deep. Um, Impossible for you or for me. But just like in our first reading tonight, the water recognizes the creator and obeys. If the creator wants it to be like a road, then it is like a road. This can only be God. And actually, in our second reading, when Jesus gets in the boat, verse 50, he says, take courage, it is I. And uh, it is I, that's reassuring, because they thought he was a ghost. So he's in one way, he's just saying, it's me, it's Jesus, it's okay. But it's also how you say the name of God in the book of Exodus, in the Greek translation. And actually, that is not the only bit of Exodus in play tonight. Uh, So we've just had an army in a desert fed with miraculous food. And now we are walking across the water with dry feet. And the I am is passing by them to show them his glory. And I don't know, do you think verse 48 was weird? He was about to pass by them. He walks on the water, not to them, but past them. That's an Exodus reference. This is the God of the Old Testament come to bring his people out of slavery. Who would want to miss out on this kingdom? And then when they land, uh, verse 53, none of this stops. There are many, many more miracles everywhere he goes. What he did before, but times a thousand now. So in chapter 2, there was one paralyzed man on a mat who walked and now there are thousands. And in chapter 5, we had one sick woman who was healed just by touching his cloak. And now it is thousands. Tears and death and sickness defeated. Who would want to miss out on this kingdom? This is the kingdom of the compassionate king. The one who, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. He wants to be their shepherd. So Jesus is advancing. The kingdom he announced is going forwards. He is undeniably the king. Surely nothing is going to stop this man from sitting on David's throne in Jerusalem and ruling the world. Okay, that is the the main story in Mark's gospel. The kingdom is advancing. But, But the disciples are going backwards. So let's just zoom in on those 12 men in the boat. And I'm going to ask you again about your sympathy for them. Let's see whether you match uh, all these other groups of people I've looked at this with. Um, There is a deliberate pattern here in Mark with the boats. And I want to show you that, just so you know I'm not making too much of a bit of um, public transport. Uh, Mark 4 to 8 is one structural unit in Mark. And three times... In that period, we zoom in on uh, the disciples doing badly in a boat. So here they are. That's the first one that Tom read to us. Then uh, our second bit, second reading, that's the second one. And again, if you want to look ahead, that is the third one. Three times in a boat. And uh, there are other boat journeys in Mark. It is the best way to travel then and now. But these three are told in detail 
And these three are linked together so that we will understand something important. So just turn back to Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. And I want to see if we can find the sympathy for them then. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Remember, uh, if you were here when Will preached on this, we have professional fishermen in a furious storm. And their boat is nearly swamped, which means that they are going to die. And they get a bit, um, a bit shouty with Jesus. They say, don't you care if we drown? But sympathy. Um, you know, we all say silly things, don't we, when we're scared? So, uh, Jesus, he wakes up and he tells the storm to be quiet. And it does. Which is sympathy, not like anything they've ever seen him do before. But still he tells them off. Verse 40, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Uh, In other words, Jesus thinks that they should have seen enough of him healing and uh, driving out demons and everything else to know what he is capable of. He's saying their fear is a sign they still don't yet have faith. But um, after he said that, after he's calmed the storm, the disciples, they are left more afraid than they were at the beginning, and they're left asking, who is this? Okay, now how's your sympathy? Uh, I think that the, the case for sympathy goes like this. They are terrified. And also, not just are they terrified, it is quite a big thing to get your head around, isn't it? The idea that your friend is God. So if you're here with a friend tonight, just glance at them briefly out of the side of your eye. Just think, how big a deal would it be to leave the building this evening convinced they were God? Take quite a lot of evidence, quite a lot. And they've not been with him all that long. So let's just give them some time and they'll get there. And they seem to. So they go on a a national preaching tour and you think, surely now they're ready. Surely this time they'll do better. We all of us like to think, don't we, that we would do better the second time. Okay, so turn to chapter 6 again. Chapter 6, verse 48. And uh, the storm is a bit less serious this time, but it is the same lake and the same people. And this time it's just the wind is against them. So they've been straining at the oars all night. And then uh, there is Jesus just strolling along past them. And they see him, they think he's a ghost. And his message to them is quite similar. Again, don't be afraid. Though he um, he throws in the answer to the question they asked last time when they were in the boat. Who is this who can even calm the waves? It is I. It is the creator God. And then he gets in the boat and the wind dies down. Now, what do you want them to say this time? What would you like them to say? I think at least you want them to say, hang on, um, this reminds me of something. This is a bit similar, isn't it? Um, Didn't you do this before? Maybe, you know, scratch their heads a bit. Maybe Jesus can control nature. Oh, it's big. Maybe Jesus is God. You'd want them, you know, that sort of conversation. But verse 51, he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. And uh, maybe if Mark had just left it there, um, you could maybe keep running the sympathy. Oh, it's a lot to take in. Give them a break. Give them another couple of months. But Mark tells us why they were completely amazed. Verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves, 
their hearts were hardened. Um, so, yes, Jesus being God is a, a lot to get your head round. But actually, they, they don't even need to remember back to the last boat because Jesus, he is being God every day all around them. Um, in fact, right now, the only reason they've managed to row for 13 kilometers against the wind is because they did some serious carbo loading at supper time. They did not understand about the loaves. Uh, yesterday, uh, only hours ago, they saw 5,000 hungry men fed from the broken pieces of a small pack lunch. In fact, their bellies probably still feel full from the loaves and the fish. And Mark says the only reason they cannot join the dots, the only reason they cannot understand the boats, the bread, and Jesus is that their hearts are hardened. Which I think is a real shock in Mark. These men, these men are our heroes. They are the the messengers of Jesus. They are the new 12 sons of Israel. But here we are in the middle of Exodus, figuratively, eating food in a desert and seeing God's glory while we cross the water dry shod. And the disciples, the 12, have hearts like Pharaoh or um, hearts like the generation who grumbled in the desert and died there without seeing the promised land. So the kingdom is advancing, but the disciples are going backwards because of their hard hearts. We like to think that our hearts are the best part of us, don't we? Uh, The question that we were asked earlier, what what is it that would make our life easier? Um, We tend to think, don't we, you know, take away... The, the storms, take away the wind, uh, uh, take away the thing that makes it difficult for us to row through life, take away the people that we struggle with, and then my heart and me would be fine. We think that our hearts are the best bit of us, the, the real me, uh, the real me which is truthful and generous and loving. It's, it's life, isn't it, that gets in the way and makes it difficult. If I could just be true to my heart, then everything would be okay. And the Bible says that that is a massive piece of self-delusion. Um, actually, hearts are the problem. And, and we only don't see that because we lie to ourselves. Just um, turn the page. And you'll see the very next chapter, Mark chapter 7, is about people who honor God with their lips when their hearts are far from him. That's 7 verse 6. And by the end of that section, 7 verse 21, Jesus tells us what is really in our hearts. Tells us about all the evil desires that spiritually pump around my body just as surely as my physical heart pumps blood. See, none of us come to questions about Jesus like a a scientist doing their 3,800th and 92nd experiment on on TB cells or whatever it is. We're not cold and hard about this. The the disciples, they have all the evidence they need and more. Um, They've done the experiment a thousand times. 
If it was only about evidence and truth, then there would be no problem. But actually already we've seen what the heart can do. Do you remember Herod in chapter 6, back in verse 17? Um, Herod has all the evidence he needs about John the Baptist. Herod has made his intellectual decision. John is a holy and righteous man. He likes to listen to him. But when he listens, what he hears John saying is inconvenient. John tells him, you have got to end your relationship with your brother's wife. And um, Herod knows what he should do. And at one level, it's even what he wants to do. That's what our hearts are like, isn't it? We know what we should do. We want to do the right thing. But verse 21 of chapter 7, out of the heart come the thoughts about, well, sexual immorality and adultery and arrogance and folly. All of those are engaged in the the story of Herod, aren't they? And so the moment comes when his daughter cashes in a foolish, arrogant promise and asks for a murder. And it turns out that Jesus was right about murder being in our hearts as well. And this um, idea of hearts becomes the major issue in Mark's gospel for the next two chapters. How can people with evil hearts even understand Jesus, let alone believe in him, let alone repent and turn to him? And it's also the the battle in our own hearts. So we have sort of two hearts at the moment. We have a a flesh heart uh, given to us by Jesus, a spiritual heart, but also a stone heart as we carry around uh, the, the old human nature. And in Mark, this sort of battle in our hearts to keep believing and the, the agony that we face as well with friends who seem to get so close to Jesus and then turn away or friends who have been right with us next to Jesus and then turn away. And we will see the solution to this in the autumn when we get to Mark chapter 7 and chapter 8. But for tonight, just turn back to chapter 4. So please turn back to chapter 4. Sorry to keep moving around. And back in chapter 4, just before the first boat, we get a series of parables that are there to explain why Jesus is not as successful with people as we might want him to be. And the the longest parable, the most famous parable, is called the parable of the sower. And uh, it may be that um, if you had my kind of childhood, if you grew up in Sunday school and drawing pictures of stories from the Bible, you may remember the parable of the sower, and you may remember it being a happy, optimistic story about farming. Um, In the parable of the sower, there were four soils, and they all received the seed, they all received the word from Jesus, and one of them rejects it at once. But one of them grows and bears fruit, loads of fruit, 60-fold, 100-fold. But half of the responses, 50% of the responses, are more complicated than that. And two of the soils, half of the responses, they are about people who start off looking good, about plants that, that spring up quickly or start growing well but then they wither or they are choked by the thorns of life. 
So ever since chapter 4, if we've been paying attention, we've been on the lookout for people who seem to believe, but don't make progress, and maybe even go backwards. Do you see why Mark chapter 6, verse 52 is such a shock. Um, We've been expecting some drop-off, maybe, some of the crowd, not to um, make it all the way, but not from the twelve, surely not from them. But a human heart is a human heart, and the human heart is the the real problem that Jesus came to fix. And in Mark chapter 4, we are introduced to a quote from Isaiah which then explains everything that happens in chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8. So there's what we get in Mark chapter 4. It's about Isaiah's ministry. Isaiah had quite a miserable ministry as a prophet. He was to tell them God's message, but they would not see and they would not hear. Or worse than that, they would see and they would hear, but they would be never perceiving and never understanding, which is why many in his generation did not turn back to God and were not forgiven. Um, But Mark only gives us the edited version of Isaiah. So um, here is what is missing in Mark's quote. This is Isaiah 6. Let me read you the bit that was missing. Make the heart of this people calloused. Um, Do you see a hardened heart? Uh, or a hardening heart. It's like the um, the callus that grows on the heel of your foot in the summer uh, when you run around outside and go on the beach without shoes on, where over time rough skin builds up on the bottom of your foot unless you do that thing in the bath where you, you scrape it off with something. And so your foot becomes tough. So you could walk even across gravel and not feel a thing. <coughs> Which is a good thing, I think, for a foot. I don't, you know, it's too much information. I don't rub that stuff off off my foot. Uh, But it's a bad thing for a heart, isn't it? What kind of heart are we describing? A calloused heart that could walk next to Jesus and not feel a thing. Isaiah goes on, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be forgiven. And if you want to check that I'm not making all these links up, you need to write down in your notes chapter 8, verse 17. Mark 8, verse 17. It's the third boat. Uh, They talk again about loaves. And Jesus there, he says, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Do you still not understand? See, Isaiah and Mark and Jesus know that you and I, we understand with our hearts. Uh, Which is to say, turning to Jesus, that is not an intellectual question only. It's not about finding those right bits of evidence to slot into the puzzle. Again, in Mark, the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, There's a problem instead of perception, of hardness of heart and eyes and ears. It's about what we want to be true, 
It's about how the truth about Jesus interacts with the desires that are already there in our hearts. Which makes chapter 6, verse 52, quite a a cliffhanger to end the series on, doesn't it? Um, We're going to head off into a series now about prayer through the summer, then we'll come back, we'll look at something else in the early autumn, it'll be a while before we're back in Mark chapter 7. And Jesus, he is moving forwards, no doubt. His kingdom is going to go all the way with no shortage of power. But maybe even the 12 apostles are not good soil after all, because their hearts are just too hard and too full of the same kind of desires as Herod. And in terms of what this means for us, I think this is realism for us. Uh, for our friends that we speak to, our friends who we love who don't yet know Jesus, um, especially if you're someone who loves an argument. I love an argument. And uh, for a long time in my Christian life, I genuinely thought that what my friends most needed was a good argument. Um, I thought if I could just hit them with enough facts and evidence, they would all become Christians. When really I would have been better off praying to the one who can change hearts. Uh, Or for um, anyone who is in Herod's position tonight, do you see how urgent this is? We mentioned this a few weeks ago when we looked at Herod. Herod, he got so close to believing. He saw the truth. He saw what it would mean in his life. He saw what it would cost him. And he just sort of stashed it behind lock and key for the future. In prison, in his case, he just sort of stashed the prophet in prison for later. I don't know what he thought would be easier in the future. And the heart that doesn't say yes, the heart that sees the truth and doesn't say yes, that heart is hardening all the time. Because his heart, it was still pumping out all of the things that the heart wanted from chapter 7. And in the end, it was this CD party full of sex and pride and his stupid oath and his folly and his relationship that he would not get rid of. And in the end, his heart said no. If you see the truth now, this evening, then don't wait. Please don't wait until there is an easier time in the future. Ask Jesus to soften your heart now and turn to him now. And then um, for the rest of us, Maybe you identify with the disciples' position uh, or um, with the sort of story of the soils in the parable of the sower. Um, Maybe you have started following Jesus, maybe even a a long time ago. Maybe you have been spreading his message. Maybe you've even um, seen miracles. But uh, maybe it has been a hard year in London. Uh, maybe it's been some of the disappointments of life. Maybe you're um, back in boat one and really you're wondering whether Jesus cares. Or maybe if I read you a bit from the parable of the sower, this is Mark 4 verse 19. Maybe it is the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. Maybe it's them that come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. 
And I don't know, but maybe there hasn't been time to pray much recently or time to listen to God in the Bible much recently. Maybe the job is too busy for a life group. Maybe the friends are too annoying to pray with. Maybe you're heading into the summer with um, calluses forming on your heart. Um, I think this says, be careful. Um, whoever you are, whatever your past status with Jesus, unless you're somehow in a higher rank than one of the 12 apostles, um, be careful. And we haven't looked at the third boat much, but I just want to turn there now. Turn to 8 verse 15 as we draw towards an end. 8 verse 15, Jesus tries to have a conversation with them where he tries to warn them. But um, they don't even get there because they just can't understand what he's saying. But let me read it to you. 8 verse 15. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Which means watch out for the attitudes of the Pharisees and of Herod. The Pharisees who were about lip service rather than heart. Or the Pharisees in the verses immediately before, they're about um, asking for more signs, more evidence, rather than trusting what they had already. And Herod, who would not repent, who would not leave his sin and turn to Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, watch out for that. And watch out for it because it's like yeast. Uh, it can get just a tiny amount of it, can get into the ball of dough and spread until the whole loaf is full of it. So watch where your heart is going. Um, I wonder, it could be just the, the word that we need before we pack our bags and go on holiday. Um, your heart, my heart, will be naturally hardening every single day. And a, a holiday from Jesus... It is not a good idea for anyone with a human heart. Um, It may be that you will want someone in this room to pray with you tonight, someone you know, someone from your life group maybe. Uh, Maybe you want a friend that you're going to ring from your holiday uh, or from your workplace, uh, from the stressful situation that has been making it harder for you to turn to Jesus. And uh, let me just give away the, the solution Um, We've been actually, we've been saying it, we've been singing it all evening. It is that Jesus is good with hearts. Jesus is good at hearts. He can open blind eyes. He can open deaf ears. He can make hardened hearts soft. And he will give us new hearts. So ask and ask and ask him. Uh, There were 12 men in that boat. And one of them betrayed him, betrayed Jesus, and died, uh, turned away from Jesus. But 11 of them, well, they didn't do very well either. 11 of them, they abandoned him, they let him down, but Jesus restored them and forgave them and trusted them and sent them out into the world to mean that people like us could be Christians after them. So ask Jesus, help me with the Pharisee problem. Help me with the Herod problem. Help my unbelief. Help me to trust you and to bear fruit and to grow 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Uh, Let me pray before we sing again.
Dear Father, we think of the reality of our hearts that we love to hide even from ourselves. We love to cover over. And yet the, the evil desires that are present there. And we think of the way that each day, uh, left to ourselves, we would harden our hearts and step further and further from your Son, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we pray, by your Spirit, would you give us soft hearts? Would you turn us towards Jesus? Would you um, turn us to him in faith and repentance? Would you give us uh, grace to turn to him and trust him? And then would you keep us? Would you keep us soft-hearted? Pray particularly for those of us uh, conscious that we are um, we are sort of feeling dry and hard about our faith at the moment. Father, please give us soft hearts. Uh, keep us through this summer. Keep us uh, praying and reading and trusting and loving the Lord Jesus, we pray, in his name, knowing that he is generous and compassionate, the true king, the true shepherd. In his name we ask. Amen.